final invitation to sinners here is coming actually in verse 17 of Revelation 22. And, and we'll look at the surrounding, what, what's happening surrounding this particular verse. But, but surrounding that is, is this, you have that, that invitation are several then reasons designed to motivate people to respond to the, the commands actually that are mentioned in verse 17. So when we get to verse 17, just take note, there's commands there. So I'm reading, starting Revelation 22, verse 13. I'm going to put on my old man glasses. All right, Revelation 22, 13 says, this is Jesus speaking, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers, and the sexually immoral, and the murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy... God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Like I said, there's a command in verse 17, the last command in your Bible. And so what is that command? Well, <clears throat> uh, notice the first command is for Christ to come. For Christ to come. Uh, this should be a longing in, in our hearts. It, it should be something we meditate and think about often. It's, it's how the Bible ends. It's what should be uh, a, a motivation for us in our living even now. And isn't it interesting? This is how the Bible ends. So if, if you wanted a proposition of some sort, I, I didn't come up with one, but uh, sh surely the idea you ought to be getting from this is that God wants us to long for Jesus, basically, to, to love Jesus. And so if we love Jesus, we're going to long for his return. We're going to long to, to be with him forever. And in the text, you'll notice, uh, if you're taking notes, you see the Holy Spirit even desires Christ's return there. So when it says Spirit, that's talking about the Holy Spirit. So the text does not specify why the Holy Spirit especially desires uh, Jesus to return, but uh, he's, he's in perfect fellowship, communion with Jesus, and, and, and he would know better than anybody, but the but the, the rest of, of Scripture suggests several reasons. Let's just think think with me. Number one, uh, 
throughout the long, dark centuries of mankind's sin and rebellion, the Spirit has worked to bring about conviction and repentance. That's part of his ministry. Uh, we'll, we'll eventually, Lord willing, get into that in the book of John. So, so he's he's working to bring about conviction and repentance in people's hearts. And so when Jesus Christ says he's coming, the, the grieved and blasphemed Holy Spirit says, come. And he's pleading with Christ to return, to defeat his enemies, to judge those sinners, and the Spirit's long battle uh, to produce conviction in hard-hearted sinners. Another thought is that it is the desire and ministry of the Spirit to glorify Christ. Uh, again, you'll, you will we'll eventually see that in the book of John. But the, the last view the world had of Jesus was was Jesus on a cross. Well, man, that's how many people think anyway. So he's here, he's, you know, he's on a cross hanging between two criminals. He's been rejected. He's despised. He's been mocked. But the Spirit longs to see his fellow member of the Trinity exalted, wants him honored and glorified. And, and that's going to happen when Christ returns in his second coming. So uh, we, we know this based on other portions of scripture. That's what the Holy Spirit is, is longing and thinking about. So the Holy Spirit's desiring Christ's return. But the, in verse 17 there, you'll also notice number two, that the church desires Christ's return. Well, my Bible says bride, but uh, we know the bride of Christ is the church when you compare scripture with scripture. So for centuries, God's people have waited for, we, we've prayed for, we've hoped for, we've been watching for Christ's return. Uh, they are the, the, the weary of the battle against our own sin nature. We're longing to see Christ exalted and honored. and uh, the, the bride longs for sin and Satan to be defeated. They long for Christ to return and, and, and take them to heaven to live with him forever. And they know that Christ is eventually going to reign over the, the new heaven and the new earth. And so for all those reasons and more, the church desires Christ's return. But there's a second command, the same one, really, mentioned in your text there, verse 17. The second command is for sinners there to come to saving faith in Christ. So notice that verse 17 mentions the same word, come. Again, it's imperative in the Greek. That, And so um, n notice the text says that, that the one who hears the command wants Christ to return. And that phrase, let the one who hears say come, is inviting those who hear the Spirit and the Bride then join with them in calling for Christ's return. They cannot do so until they come to faith in Christ, though, and so only a genuine Christian can truly long for Christ to appear. Obviously, uh, an unbeliever is not, not very likely to to want to see Jesus in an unrepentant state. And so the, the one who hears this command wants Christ to return. But number two there, the one who hears the command is, is the person, notice the text says, this person is spiritually thirsty. They're spiritually thirsty. Now thirst is a biblical metaphor picturing the strong sense of spiritual need that is a prerequisite for repentance. Interestingly, uh, in 
Isaiah 55, verse 1, God says there, everyone who thirsts, uh, he, he calls everybody who thirsts to come to the waters of salvation. And so Jesus pronounced those blessed who hunger and thirst for righteousness in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. In John chapter 7, he gave the invitation, if anyone who is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So this this is a metaphor that the Bible uses several times. It's, It's an important one. Hopefully it's one that you can relate to. Hopefully you've all been thirsty at some point where you you can understand this and relate it to your life in a spiritual way. So the one who hears the command is spiritually thirsty. The uh, but uh, then number three, the one who hears the command here takes the water of life without price. So God's invitation here is unlimited in the sense that it's broad. It's a it's a gracious offer of salvation. It's true that God saves sinners, but only those who recognize their need and repent. And so the water of life mentioned there is referring to salvation. It's offered without price. The idea there is that it's freely given. It's it, You can't pay for it. Uh, and the reason salvation is free because Jesus paid the price for it when he gave his life, when he sacrificed himself in his death on the cross. And so God freely offers the water of life to those then whose hearts are thirsty for forgiveness, whose minds are thirsty for the truth. When your soul is thirsty for God, uh, then God says that is who this is for. And like I said, surrounding those commands there in verse 17 is is all the reasoning and the motivation that you need to obey God's final command. Let's let's look at uh, what's surrounding verse 17. In fact, there's at least four reasons for sinners to accept God's final command there in verse 17. Number one, the first reason for sinners to obey God's final command there is because of who it comes from. It's coming personally from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, So, Like if you look at um, verse 13, for example, which we saw, it mentions uh, Jesus saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. So Alpha being the first letter of the Greek alphabet, Omega being the last. And so Jesus repeats that idea when he says that he's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So... Here's a reason to, to to trust in this one who's uh, who's saying, "Come." Why? Why? In other words, why do we trust Christ? Why should trusting Christ uh, be important? Because it's because of who He is. We need to know. It's hard to trust someone whom you don't know, right? So, how do we know who He is? Well, Jesus identifies Himself. He, he's done that many times through this book, and. Christ's threefold identification of himself is is giving us that same emphasis here. So, if you didn't understand what Alpha and Omega was, then those other two will hopefully help you to understand. But the idea there, when you take those all together, in verse 13, is it's expressing this one who is infinite. He's eternal. His his life is boundless. He's he's trans. Uh, transcending all limitations. And so this threefold here description is describing one who is complete. 
Christ is timeless. He is the sovereign one over all. And so, and then, so, and then elaborating even further on that in verse 16, you have a, some, some would consider a confusing statement there in verse 16, when Jesus declares himself to be both the root as well as the descendant. So my Bible says root. Uh, that just means he is the ancestor. So it, it is kind of a similar idea, an ancestor, descendant. So that phrase there is summing up the biblical teaching of Christ's two natures. Uh, Christ didn't always have two natures, but in his incarnation, some about 2,000 years ago, Christ then took on humanity. He took on the human flesh. Uh, whereas before all he had was the one nature, his deity. And so and he did that, and, and it's really, really important. It's a, a really important event, because only the God-man can be both David's ancestor and his descendant. So in his deity, notice that Christ is David's root, but in his humanity, he is also David's descendant. And if you don't understand that, then you're, you're not going to understand some of the uh, stuff going on in the book of Psalms and some of the arguments that Jesus got in with Pharisees and so forth. But that's, that's important to see. He is the God-man. He has two natures, and he's going to keep both of those for all eternity now. But but notice Jesus also describes himself in verse 16 as the bright morning star. I, I hope you've seen that at some point, uh, the real morning star. Um, the the imitation, I guess you could say, it, it, up in the sky. And so the, the idea there to call somebody a star was to exalt him, right? We, we talk about rock stars or what, well, I don't, but, you know, when people... Uh, <laughs> Because I'm ignorant about that, but when, when people talk about the rock stars and the, those sort of thing, right, the, the stars of Hollywood or whatever, uh, it, it's it's a way of exalting them. But as the morning stars announcing the arrival of the day, we see here that Christ's coming is going to announce the end of the darkness, the end of mankind's night, and you're going to have a glorious dawn into the new kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth. And so Christ said he was the light of the world. He's the one calling sinners to, to, to come to him and drink of the water of life. And he said, if you drink of him, you'll never thirst again. So that's the, uh, a, a reason for obeying God's final command because of who's, who's it talking about. It comes from Jesus Christ. There's a second reason in verses 14 and 15. Uh, for sinners to obey God's final command, because heaven is limited to those who have been cleansed from their sins by faith in Christ. That, that's how it happens. That's the only way it happens. And so verses 14 and 15 are telling us in, in a little different way, maybe, than you've heard in other portions of Scripture. But this section, notice, begins with a blessing. And this blessing is given to those who wash their robes. Uh, most of us don't wear robes today, but uh, that, that was a typical clothing for people back then. That, that phrase is portraying the believer's participation in the death of Christ. It's a phrase used several times throughout the book of Revelation. For example, in chapter 7, verse 14, it says, The tribulation martyrs have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, why do robes need to be washed? Because they're dirty. 
and 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 because dirty clothes here representing sinfulness, they need to be washed. But you can't you can't throw them in a washing machine because a washing machine can never deal with the sin, right? So they need to be washed. And how how does that cleansing come? It's only notice it's through the blood of Christ. It's through he shed his blood, he gave his life, and those who have experienced the washing from sin that are forever uh, able and, uh, and can come to the tree of life, which is in heaven. Uh, that tree of life is in heaven. It's located in the capital city of heaven, right there in the New Jerusalem. We read about that in the previous passages. And so that just means that those granted access to that tree of life will be allowed to enter into the gates of heaven. Heaven is exclusively for those who've been cleansed from their sins by faith in the blood of Christ through his substitutionary atonement. And and in contrast, then notice the text says everyone else is going to remain forever outside of the capital city of heaven. They will not be allowed into the new Jerusalem, but they will live forever in the lake of fire. So who's who's going to be cast into that fire? It's those who love and habitually practice any sin. Not just the ones mentioned in verse 15. These are the people who are stubbornly clinging to their sin. They're refusing uh, uh, Christ. They're they're rebelling against Christ. They, They don't believe in Christ's person and work. Now, some people look at verse 15 and they don't understand what's going on there because... Uh, why are dogs mentioned in this context? Now you need you need to think think through this. Uh, you know, some people think dogs go to heaven. Uh, I, I, I'm not getting into that. Uh, but are you I, I, are you one of those people who think dogs go to heaven? I don't know. But uh, you, you can discuss that during uh, fellowship time if you want. But in you need to understand that in Bible times, dogs were not your household pet, like uh, a lot of us have dogs in our house or around our house. Dogs were something that was, they were unloved. Uh, they were scavengers that, that didn't live in people's houses. They lived in the rubbish dumps, uh, that, and, they, and they would eat out of those rubbish dumps, which I know that's disgusting, but that's what they did because people weren't feeding them on the whole. And so to call a person a dog then was describing that person as somebody with very low character. And that's why dogs are mentioned here along, notice the context, they're mentioned with other sinners like sorcerers, immoral persons, murderers and idolaters and liars and so forth. And so the idea there is if you've committed, by the way, any of these sins, uh, it does not necessarily exclude you from heaven, but the idea is those who love and habitually practice these types of sins, if you're stubbornly embracing those and refusing Christ, then God's saying you will be cast into the lake of fire. I hope that little explanation helps you out. All right, moving on to reason number three. Uh, The third reason for sinners to obey God's final command is because The Bible is true. In verses 18 and 19, we see the Bible is true. So it's interesting, the speaker who who testifies to the authority here and the finality of the words of this book is Jesus Christ. 
notice no, notice what he he says. He he said, "Don't add, or don't take away." Both of those are are the wrong thing to do. And so when uh, you well, well, let's just get into it. When was the Bible complete? <laughs> There's different ideas on this. Well, Scripture was closed. We call it the canon. It's canon means a rule, a measurement. Scriptures closed the end of the first century when Revelation was finished. It was the last book written by the Apostle John in the in the nineties. And so, any false prophet or fraud who adds to the new Revelation is going to face God's vengeance. Serious warnings here. God's judgment will be equally severe by to to anybody who takes away from the words of the Bible. Now, that by the way, that doesn't mean that believers will never make errors in judgment. We're, we're certainly not infallible, but Christ's warning here is addressed to those who engage in in deliberate error or a deliberate misinterpretation of Scripture. Now, there's there's very serious warnings here, not not just to the preachers, not just to teachers, but every every one of us need to take heed to the warning there. Because the Bible is true, and it is final. It is finished. It is complete. The fourth reason for sinners to obey God's final command here is because Christ's return is certain. We, we've, we've already talked about it being imminent. It could, it could happen soon, at any moment. As Jesus said so, it's, it, that we know it's going to happen. We don't, we don't know a date. And so the book of Revelation in the Bible is closing with one final reminder and, and a benediction. And so in his last recorded words in Scripture here, the last thing Jesus says in, in your Bible is, notice what it says. Jesus says, I am coming soon. Now, my friends, do you believe that? It, it, it is really important you believe that. His coming is imminent. And John speaks for all the true believers when he responds with Amen, come Lord Jesus. Uh, Amen means truly, truly. I, I, I'm in agreement. I, I believe that's true. And so the certainty of Christ's return should motivate people to repent of their sins, trust in Christ. And so the comforting truth is that those who humble themselves then and accept God's offer of salvation are going to find him to be gracious. And it's fitting that the last words of the Bible there are, did you notice what it says, the last verse? That the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And so that's an, an expression of God's grace toward fallen humanity. And so I ask you, friend, have you accepted that truth? Do, do you want his grace? Uh, God, God's grace, by the way, is, is God giving to us what we don't deserve. And so Christ offers heaven only those who are accepting his gracious invitation. Christ is your only hope, friend. Please do not reject him. Please believe who he is and what he's done. So let's just think of some application here. What, what can we do with a passage like this? Because uh, it, it seems to be directed toward the non-Christian. Well, what, what, what can we do here? Number one, you must keep trusting God's word. Hopefully you, you trust the Bible. It is God's word. And it, it says to keep. 
But what does it mean to keep the words of the prophecy of this book? There, if you read verses 18 and 19. Well, basically, to, to keep, I remind you, has the idea of you're guarding, you're watching over, you're preserving it intact, you're, you're protecting it. Uh, it, the idea there is uh, you must not add to the Word of God. You must not take anything away from it. And so it's a dangerous thing when when people tamper with the Word of God. Uh, the one who guards the Word and obeys it, then J- Jesus says there, you're going to be blessed. But the one who alters it is, is going to be disciplined in some way. All right? I mean, think of all the plagues and terrible judgments that we've seen in the book of Revelation. Well, God's saying that that's going to happen to people who are who are taking and adding to Scripture. So beware, keep it, guard it, watch over, preserve it. That's our responsibility. And then number two, you have also the responsibility of serving the Lord. So all the way from verse 12 to 14, you have this idea uh, like, for example, the Bible says, blessed are they that, that do God's commands, basically. And so if you really believe that Jesus is coming soon, it's going to have an effect on your life. Like, like you've heard me say several times, I hope. Remember, your theology drives your methodology. Or in other words, what you believe has this effect on what you do. So if you really believe that Jesus is coming soon, then you're going to be faithful to him. Uh, Verse 13 should be an encouragement to you as you're seeking to serve your Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so he is uh, the beginning of all things. He's the end of all things. And he he, he fills all the middle there as well. And so this means that Jesus is the one who is eternal. It, It means that whatever God starts, he's going to finish, and you can rely upon him, and you are responsible because of that. And then number three, you must keep your life clean. Uh, and that's, that's you're, you're more talking about your spiritual life. It's not talking about taking showers or baths. But uh, in verses 15 and 16, you get this idea that it's, it's, it's because God's people look for Christ's return that they're keeping their life clean, they are therefore dedicated to him because they know accountability is coming. Uh, judgment day is coming. They're, they're gonna, you, you will answer for the life you live. So keep your life clean because Jesus is going to return. He knows he's keeping track in his book. And then last, uh, as we close the Bible for today here, you must keep expecting Jesus to return. That, that's a continuous action, is uh, an, an attitude, if you will. In verse 20 there, as the Bible is wrapping up, what does it say? He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So hopefully that's your heart cry. Now, have you noticed God loves the number three? And, and three times in this closing chapter, the Apostle John has said that Christ is coming soon. Jesus has delayed his return, obviously, for some 2,000 years or so. And so now we, we are even, obviously, closer to the time of this return. And so, my friends, I hope you believe it could be very soon. It could be in your lifetime. And so we are 
exhorted to keep watching, keep waiting, keep longing. As, and, and even as Paul says in, in his last will and testament, are you loving the thought of his return? Second Timothy chapter 4. Well, if our study of Revelation has been truly led by the Holy Spirit, then we're going to join with John here in the Bible's last prayer. Did you notice what it says there in the Bible's last prayer? Come, Lord Jesus. Some Bibles use the word Maranatha. Uh, if you've ever heard that word Maranatha, that's that's the prayer of come, Lord Jesus. That, if you will, that might be the main idea of the text. And so are you ready, friends? Are you ready? Are you expecting, longing for Christ to return? He said he's going to, we can rely upon him to be trustworthy and to keep his promises. Are you ready? Well, I hope you are. He's coming. If you're not ready, you need to get ready. It's going to happen one day, hopefully very, very, very soon. Well, let me just uh, uh, pray for you and then... Um, if you have any questions or comments, uh, that, let's, let's just uh, fellowship with each other as we close. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Bible as we've, we've wrapped it up here today. Uh, we're thankful that there's, there's a lot more that we can dig into in the future, however long that might be. So may we, uh, may we love the thought of Christ's return. May we, may we love Christ. Be, be, we want his return because we love him in particular, want to live with him. We, and it'll be great to have that sin nature removed and uh, the curse of sin removed. No more death, no more crying, no more suffering, no more pain. Uh, all, all the bad stuff removed and, and we, we will experience a new heaven and a new earth and uh, be in heaven with Christ forever and ever. And so may we, uh, meditate upon those glorious things, know what that means for us, even as we live out our days here on earth. So thank you for giving us Christ, and we're thankful for his His life and his work, and ongoing work on our behalf as well, and, and uh, the promises that we look forward to in the future. May we believe those as well, that he is coming soon, and he's going to do all the stuff we've seen there in the book of Revelation. Cause us to believe by your grace. Uh, may our may our prayer for be for Jesus to come. May we meditate upon that, and may it give us great hope. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.